Welcome to Still at Large, a series looking at unsolved British murders. Each episode will examine an individual murder or a series of killings that, despite the best efforts of the various police forces involved, have, for whatever reason, never been solved. In most cases, the perpetrator is probably still at large. The subject matter is not for young children or those with a fragile disposition. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 3 The Disappearance of April Fan, 8th of April 1969 Part 2 April Fab had disappeared whilst cycling to see her brother-in-law on the 8th of April 1969. Despite extensive searches and a handful of people who had seen April near to the time she went missing, no sign of her could be found. Norfolk would be rocked on the 2nd of September when another child, 11-year-old Stephen Newing, would vanish from Fakenham, just 20 or so miles from Metton, where April lived. Stephen had been going to a friend's house for tea and was told by his mother to not be later than 8pm. His younger brother had seen him leave at about 3.30. But by 9pm, when Stephen had not returned, his mother reported him missing to the police. An eyewitness had seen a boy matching Stephen's appearance near to a junction on the A148 at around 7pm. There were other witnesses who reported that police should trace the owner of a cream-coloured van who might know something of his whereabouts. It is also speculated that he fell down a well near to where his belongings were found. However, the well has never been excavated and Stephen's disappearance remains unsolved too. Stephen's disappearance was different from April's in that it didn't receive the same national coverage that April's had. The timings were different. However, there was an earlier case in 1966 that was almost identical. Jane Taylor had disappeared from her home in Cheshire in 1966. Her bicycle was found thrown in a field at around 2.30pm, after she had been seen riding it at around 5 past 2. These remarkably similar cases brought the investigating forces of Cheshire and Norfolk together following April's abduction. The perpetrator of Jane's disappearance was later identified as William Ian Copeland. Her file is still closed and will remain so until 2071, which, given there is a perpetrator behind bars, it's very curious. As we saw from the Information Commissioner's report into the sealing of Jean Townsend file in episode 1, files are sometimes sealed to prevent the possibility of a suspect being apprehended or another trial being compromised by a full disclosure of facts. So what can this mean? Could it be that there's possibly another suspect out there? During the course of researching this case, I have been able to speak, albeit briefly, with two former Norfolk constabulary officers who were involved with this case in the 1980s. From those discussions, it seems that the police were fairly confident that the perpetrator of April's abduction was the notorious paedophile murderer Robert Black, but neither were prepared to say exactly why, in case it compromised the case. Black was convicted in 1990 of several high-profile cases of child abduction, rape and murder. A thoroughly vile human being, 
Black had a long history of sexual assaults involving minors from 1963 onwards. At the time April went missing, Black was living near to King's Cross Station in London, so accessing anywhere in East Anglia would have been quite simple by train. It's also known that he had access to a van from 1964. Robert Black is the primary suspect in this case. His modus operandi seems to fit, and he is suspected of a very similar abduction of Jeanette Tate in 1978. Jeanette had spoken with friends just moments before she was taken. Her bicycle and the newspapers she carried were found on the road. No trace of Jeanette has ever been found. The police have described the similarities between the disappearance of Jeanette Tate, April Fab and Jane Taylor as striking. In April 2016, a file was presented to the Crown Prosecution Service that linked Black to the disappearance of Jeanette Tate. Unfortunately, Black died of a heart attack in prison in February 2016. It seems that the file given to the CPS will not be followed up on. Let's take a little time to consider the cases of Jane Taylor and the Cannock Chase murders. Jane Taylor was taken from a country road in Moberley, Cheshire, in 1966. Her body wasn't discovered until 1972 at Clavarbecken, North Wales. The cause of her death is not known at this time. In 1975, William Copeland was convicted of her abduction and murder, but those files are currently closed. The Cannock Chase murders are attributed to Raymond Morris, the monster of Cannock Chase. Morris was convicted of the abduction and murder of seven-year-old Christine Darby, six-year-old Margaret Reynolds and five-year-old Diane Tift. Some sources add Jane Taylor to his victim list, but this could be an error as it is very close to the name of the girl who Morris is known to have attempted to kill in 1964, Julie Taylor. He was found guilty of the murders of Christine, Margaret and Diane and sentenced to life in prison in 1968 before April's disappearance. What, then, is the reason for mentioning it? Well, the modus operandi for one. A child snatched from the street and roads in quiet country areas. The sexual assault of the victims prior to their untimely death. All details similar to both the abduction of April Fab and the known MO of Robert Black. Black is known to have taken his victims on some substantial journeys between their abduction and deposition. This fits in with the pattern of the abduction of Jane Taylor. She was taken from Cannock Chase and deposited in North Wales roughly 100 miles away, with that crime being attributed to William Copeland and no one else. So it seems that in the 1960s there were several predatory paedophiles operating in the UK. I have discussed the possibilities of a connection between these vile men with several former police officers, and the common consensus of opinion is that they did not know one another. There is, however, good evidence to show that paedophiles do network and have always shared abusive images and material. What degree of separation there was between them, if any, is high speculation at best. In the Fab household, as the 1960s drew to a close, with them being no closer to discovering what had happened to their youngest daughter, hope was never lost. Various well-meaning psychics were offering their input, being examined closely by the investigating force, and every single suggestion was ruled out. 
they were all wrong. Norfolk, at the time, was having a large pipeline network laid for North Sea gas and oil that was being drilled. In 1969, these pipes were primarily being laid in places where they bisected roads, although none were near to where April had disappeared. It hadn't been ruled out that she may have been placed in one of these trenches, and DCS Reg Lester informed the press in 1989 that the force had used a helicopter using ground-penetrating radar to search for a possible gravesite, sadly without success. The fabs were to receive regular messages of well-wishes from unknown members of the public for many years, but the years were passing and there was no sign of April anywhere. The Norfolk force concluded that the possibilities of her running away or being kidnapped or even having amnesia were all out of the question and that the only logical conclusion was that April had been murdered shortly after being abducted by whoever had thrown her bicycle in the field. Even the delivery of a cryptic note sent to a national newspaper stating link disappearance of April Fab with Woodgate and Hazel End proved nothing more than crank correspondence without any solid basis. It is quite sobering to consider that by the end of 1979, 78 children had vanished without trace. The missingkids.co.uk website lists 231 children who are currently missing from 1959 to the present day. It is a shocking and disturbing reality to consider. Some of them are undoubtedly runaways, living new, independent lives away from their friends and family but it cannot be the case for everyone on that long, long list. Other cases in Norfolk also came to unsatisfactory ends. In March 1970, 18-year-old Susan Long was found raped and strangled in Aylsham, just nine miles or so from Metton. It is assumed that Susan was driven to where she was deposited, but despite forensic evidence pointing to a man with a rare blood type and the offender's DNA being found on her body, no one has yet been arrested for her murder. At the same time as the investigation into the murder of Susan Long, police received word of a prison confession from a man who claimed to have been a witness to the abduction, murder and burial of April. He alleged that her body was buried in Sheringham Woods at Pretty Corner. Prison confessions are often treated with an element of suspicion and doubt, but they are nonetheless investigated. In this instance, the informant was an habitual offender who had escaped detention on several occasions. His story was that he and a friend, whom he named, had been selling wood from a van in the area when his friend abducted April. They had then driven to Pretty Corner, assaulted her, and buried her in a shallow grave. What gave the police pause for thought was the reasonably accurate map of back lane he drew for the detectives, as well as the disturbingly vivid account of the crime. However, following investigations, including a digging party sent to the exact location as specified, the prison informant's information proved useless. As time went on, he changed his story, indicating two other friends were involved, his version of events then changed to identify a group of gypsies who, he claimed, had taken her. At the time of his confession, he was known to be suffering with psychological problems, and soon police were to abandon the informant as another pointless lead. 
in May 1971, two years after she had gone missing, April's name and an address was found in a bag purchased at a jumble sale. This find sparked another round of press interest and police investigation. Unfortunately, it was proven to be part of a detective game played by two young girls that had, inadvertently, ended up in the hands of the police. On the 21st of May 1973, nine-year-old Christine Markham disappeared from her hometown of Scunthorpe in South Yorkshire. Christine was known to bunk off occasionally, as she didn't always enjoy school, and she remained unreported as missing until 8.45pm. Christine was last reported as having been seen at 11pm, but there had been no trace of her since. Her case, too, is suspected of being the responsibility of Robert Black. Another young woman would go missing without trace in August 1974. Pamela Axel was 21 years old and holidaying in Snettisham, northwest Norfolk. When she was reported missing, Pamela had been camping near the beach. No trace of her has ever been found, and it is a matter of speculation that she was the victim of foul play or simply got into trouble in the sea and was lost to the waves. Norfolk was to be the scene of another disturbing murder, and this was undoubtedly a murder, in August 1974, when the headless corpse of a young woman was discovered at Cockley Clay. Widely believed to be the body of a sex worker known as the Duchess, although nobody can say for sure that it is her. Scientific analysis of her remains shows that the woman is from Denmark, Germany, Austria or Northern Italy, and that she had consumed Scottish water and seafood made up a large proportion of her diet. The cause of her death and her identity remains unknown. Unfortunately, there were a number of other young women who would go missing at around the same time. Catherine Cross, 21, went missing in June 1974. Linda Angus disappeared the same year and was aged 28. And Mary Boyle, 17, who had been working in Cromer on the North Norfolk coast. None of these women have ever been located either. In December 1976, at Downham Market in Norfolk, 14-year-old Heidi Redding was found murdered. Heidi had gone missing after hitchhiking to see her boyfriend. Unfortunately, it would be six weeks before she would be found strangled in a ditch just two miles from her home. Reports that she had been given a lift by a passing lorry driver caused local haulage contractor Albert Dent to put up a £500 reward for information leading to the arrest of the perpetrator. Her killer was later identified as Peter Colin Hunter and in 1977 he was sentenced to prison. One of his files, however, remains closed until 2063. Chronologically, this brings us to 1978 and the county of Devon across the country where Jeanette Tate would vanish moments after speaking with a friend whilst delivering newspapers on her bicycle. No trace of Jeanette has ever been found, although it is reported that the police were in the process of preparing a file for the Crown Prosecution Service to place charges relating to Jeanette's disappearance against serial killer and predatory paedophile Robert Black. Black is the primary suspect in the abduction of April Fab, but I've been careful to point out that at the time there were a number of predatory paedophiles in the UK at the time of April's disappearance. 
it would be remiss of me to fail to mention that in the 1960s, 70s and 80s there were various pressure groups campaigning for the legalisation of sexual relations with children. The two primary groups were the Paedophile Information Exchange Network, which lobbied for changes in legislation to the criminality of indecent images of children and the wider acceptance of sexual relationships between adults and children. The other offshoot was the Paedophile Action for Liberation Group. Both were vile organisations that drew upon the expertise of members to produce their magazine, Magpie, and even advised judges as to the sentencing of convicted paedophiles. The breadth and scope of the membership was dizzying, and their membership list includes members of the aristocracy, prominent politicians, celebrities, as well as psychologists and doctors. It was even found to have received financial assistance from the British government over three years. Such was the scale of paedophile networks within England that special operations were started by many police forces in 2012 to investigate the activities of many high-profile people. Most notably, the allegations of abuse by Jimmy Savile has led to the arrest and conviction of many celebrities of offences against minors. The scale of the crimes committed by Jimmy Savile are breathtaking and cover the period from 1959 to 2009, with virtually every police force in the country involved. He is thought to have abused 450 children. As well as television personalities and their associates being involved in paedophilia, there were dark rumours of involvement at Westminster, home of the British establishment. In 1984, a dossier on alleged paedophiles associated with the British government was compiled by Geoffrey Dickens MP. He handed it to the then Home Secretary, Leon Britton. The whereabouts of the dossier is now unknown, as it appears to have been lost shortly after it was handed over. The Home Office stated, in 2013, that all relevant information had been passed to the police and that Dickens' dossier had not been retained. 114 documents concerning child abuse allegations were missing, it was later disclosed. The then Prime Minister, David Cameron, ordered, in July 2014, that the Permanent Secretary of the Home Office, Mark Sedwell, investigate the circumstances of the lost dossier following calls from the Labour Party. On the 7th of July 2014, the then Home Secretary, Theresa May, announced a review into the handling of historic child abuse allegations, which was to be led by Peter Wanless, Chief Executive of the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. She also announced the establishment of a public panel inquiry into the duty of care taken in the protection of children from paedophiles by British public institutions, led by an independent panel of experts and chaired by Baroness Butler Sloss. Butler Sloss was forced to stand down as the chair of the broad inquiry into child abuse later the same month, when it emerged that her late brother, Sir Michael Havers, had been Attorney General in the 1980s, and his actions would have been subject to investigation by the inquiry. Speaking on BBC Radio 4, she said, I do believe the establishment has in the past looked after itself, partly because people did not really recognise the seriousness of child abuse and they did not think it was so important, and it was important to protect members of the establishment. So I would want to go in with a knife and cut the whole thing open and expose it, bearing in mind, of course, that the views of those people are different to people today. That is a difficulty, but I don't believe I was unsuitable to do it 
because as a judge with 35 years experience on the bench I was quite able to be independent and say that people had got it wrong and be critical of them. That is the way I was trained. She added, I absolutely understand the public do not believe it. In February 2015, it was announced that the inquiry would be chaired by Justice Lowell Goddard, a High Court judge from New Zealand. Dame Lowell Goddard resigned in August 2016, stating a legacy of failure had beset the inquiry. Dame Goddard then released a statement indicating that the controversies and challenges of the independent inquiry into child sex abuse were insurmountable. Returning to Geoffrey Dickens, it is known that between 1981 and 1985 he campaigned against a suspected paedophile ring he claimed to have uncovered that was connected to trading child pornography. Using parliamentary privilege, Dickens named Sir Peter Heyman, a former senior diplomat, civil servant and MI6 operative, as a paedophile in the House of Commons. Dickens asked why Heyman had not been jailed in 1981 following the discovery of violent pornography. In 1983, Dickens claimed that there was a paedophile network involving big, big names, people in positions of power, influence and responsibility, and threatened to name them in the Commons. The next year, he campaigned for the banning of the pro-paedophile activism group, the Paedophile Information Exchange, of which Heyman was a member. In 1985, Dickens' name was found on a killer's hit list. This came after threats and burglaries at his London home. He stated that paedophiles were evil and dangerous, and that child pornography generated vast sums. Dickens gave his 40-page dossier to the Home Secretary Liam Britton in a 30-minute meeting in 1984. A second copy of the dossier was reported to have been given to the then Director of Public Prosecutions, Thomas Hetherington. Dickens had asked Leon Britton to investigate the diplomatic and civil services and the Royal Court at Buckingham Palace over claims of paedophilia. In a letter to Dickens, Britton suggested that his file would be given to police. However, the police later stated they had no record of any investigation into the allegations. The Home Office later stated that no correspondence from Dickens had been retained and they had found no record of specific allegations by Mr Dickens of child abuse by prominent public figures. Both dossiers have been misplaced. The missing dossier has been linked with ongoing investigations into the Elm Guest House child abuse scandal. Heyman was a visitor to the Elm Guest House, a hotel that held child abuse parties. Others who allegedly visited the house included Soviet spy Anthony Blunt, the Liberal MP Cyril Smith, and several Conservative politicians, a Labour MP, as well as a Sinn Féin politician. An academic researcher, in January 2015, found a reference to a file entitled Allegations Against Former Public Redacted Word of Unnatural Sexual Proclivities. Security Aspects, 1980, October 27th to 1981, March 20th, in the National Archives. This document had gone to the then Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. The file had been classified since it contained information from the security services and law officers. The Cabinet Office initially stated that any pertinent files would be made available to the forthcoming independent panel inquiry into child sex abuse. However, 
When the fire was made public, it related to the former British diplomat, Sir Peter Heyman. In these documents was a note sent to Margaret Thatcher, titled, Line to Take. It was sent the day that Geoffrey Dickens had named Heyman. In her handwriting were the words, Say authorities have carried out an investigation, nothing to suggest that security prejudiced. In July 2014, former Conservative Cabinet Minister Norman Tebbit, who had held a variety of ministerial posts in the 1980s, was asked if there had been a cover-up. He said, There may well have been, and described it as almost unconscious. It was the thing that people did at the time. Tebbit also spoke of the political atmosphere of the time, saying, At that time, I think most people would have thought that the establishment the system was to be protected and if a few things had gone wrong here and there that it was more important to protect the system than delve too far into it. That view I think was wrong then and it is spectacularly shown to be wrong because the abuses have grown. In March 2015 it was announced that the Independent Police Complaints Commission, the IPCC, would manage an investigation into claims of high-level corruption of the most serious nature over four decades, including 16 allegations that the Met had covered up historical child sex offences because of the involvement of MPs and police officers. However, Labour MP Simon Danzuk, who had been calling for such an inquiry, told the BBC, We are on the cusp of finding out exactly what went on in the 70s and 80s, and, I'm sorry to say, I think it will be shown that senior politicians were involved in abuse and there was a cover-up. I think that's inevitable now. I mention all of this because it is important to the nature of the case. April was abducted by a paedophile. Of that the police are fairly confident. They are also fairly confident that it was Robert Black. But there was a major problem with paedophilia in the UK at the time, with prominent people actively covering up knowledge of the paedophile rings. Even now, large-scale grooming gangs of paedophiles have been uncovered in major British cities. The exploitation of children for sexual abuse still continues to this day. I am in no way saying that there was a cover-up involving April Fab, or that the Norfolk Constabulary were in any way involved, but having background knowledge of the activities of a large number of connected paedophiles that were operating in England at the time is highly important. Although the police believe Robert Black is the prime suspect in her abduction and murder, it is possible that someone with knowledge of the case and what happened to April is still at large. If you have any information about this crime, or any other case featured on Still at Large, please make contact with the relevant police force. Links will be provided on the pages for this podcast. Some music was by Duke Deck and online music AI at dukedeck.com. Still at Large was written, produced and presented by Desmond J. Brambley and is a tiny yellow dinosaur media production.